What's up, Moto community? Welcome to episode four of the Dented Pipe podcast. I am your host, Ron Dog, and this week I will be reviewing the race from Tampa, Florida, and giving my highlights of what went down and my positives and negatives of some of the top riders. As always, I want to thank you for listening to this privateer podcast made by a fan for the fans. And as a way of reminder, like I start all my podcasts, I in no shape, way, or form have any connection to any of the riders, any of the mechanics, team owners, manufacturers, um, sponsors, or anybody involved in the Monster Energy Supercross Series. I am simply a fan, grew up riding dirt bikes, riding Supercross and Motocross, riding trails in the desert. And ever since I went to my first Supercross in 1993 and watched Jeremy McGrath win, I've been a huge fan of the sport, both Supercross and Motocross, and decided to start my own podcast. So with that said, there's really only one question left to ask. Are you ready to podcast? excitement into the 250 class because it was the opening round for the East Coast uh, riders to kick off their series. So the 250 class is broken into both East and West Coast where riders commit to one or the other and compete in half the races. And then when you move up to the 450s, you completely compete in the full 17 race series. So for the last six weeks, we've watched guys like Dylan Ferrandez, Justin Cooper, Christian Craig, Jet Lawrence, Austin Forkner, all battling for the West Coast. Well, now they get a six-week break, and we won't see them again till C- till Seattle, excuse me. So that brought a whole new series of riders, and we'll talk about a lot of them. Not to mention there were eight rookies making their pro Supercross debut. So we'll uh, we'll touch up on them a little bit too. Just talk about how they all did. But first, let's look at the racing action. So a qualifying time, Jeremy Martin was your faster. That is the brother of Alex Martin, who we've been watching race on the East Coast. I'm sorry, on the West Coast. So now his brother, Jeremy Martin, was racing on the East Coast. Shay McElrath was the second fastest qualifier. The defending East Coast 250 champion, Chase Sexton, was third. Pro Circuit's Garrett Marshbank, Marshbanks was fourth. And RJ Hampshire rounded out the top five in qualifying. In Heat 1, McElrath would win, followed by Banks, Smith, Peters, Lopes, Short, Starling, Robin, and Gaines, all going directly to the main event from the Heat. In Heat 2, the defending champ, Chase Sexton, would win, followed by Jeremy Martin, Hampshire, Hill, Shimoda, Own, Crown, Bailey, and Soberos. I apologize. So then that left four spots open in the LCQ, which were filled by Dakotas, Sales, Thurman, and Teasdale. In the main event, Jordan Smith would get the whole shot, but before the end of the first rhythm section, Shane McElrath would waste no time and take the lead by the second turn. And at the end of lap one, the running order would be McElrath, Jay Martin, Smith, Sexton, and Shimoda rounding out the top five. 10 minutes and one lap left in the race, it's all McElrath. He is checked out and is in the lead, and Sexton has worked his way around Smith, 
and his teammate Jerry, Jeremy Martin and into second place. Martin is in third. Smith and Marchbanks are rounding out the top five. Shimoda is back in 12th. Five minutes plus one lap to go. The front four have spread out, and the battle is for fifth between Hampshire, Smith, and then you got Crown running an impressive seventh. On the last lap of the race, it has been all Shane McElrath leading every lap and has a huge lead over Chase Sexton in second second place. So your finish would be Shane McElrath, Sexton, Martin, Marshbanks, and Smith rounding out the top five. It actually was a good race. It was an exciting race. Um, there were a lot of battles farther back in the, the standings. It wasn't so much of a highlight main event. And I'm not trying to say the race was boring. I actually really enjoyed the 250 race. But it's kind of the same even with the 450s. It wasn't like the last couple weeks uh, like the West Coast guys where there's all a lot of drama. You got three guys who are up front battling for this championship. One guy like Justin Cooper got a bad race. You know, this one, we really didn't know who to expect. Some people have their heavy favorites. A lot of people picked or mentioned or felt that Shane McElrath was going to be the guy to beat. But then you got to look at Chase Sexton. He won the championship last year. He's defending it this year. A lot of people want to sit there and go, well, you know, Austin Forkner was dominating the East Coast, and then he crashed and hurt his knee in Nashville, and that gave the, the championship to Chase Sexton. Well, that's true, but at the same time, you got to be in it to win it, and Chase Sexton put himself in that position so that when Austin Forkner had the mistake, he was able to pounce, and he was able to take the championship. So... Just kind of like Dylan Ferrandez. He won it because Censorilla uh, went down with, what, three minutes to go at Vegas last year in the final round? So we've also seen Dylan Ferrandez basically being the fastest guy out there uh, for the past six weeks on the West Coast. So I think it's the same with Chase Sexton. Yes, maybe last year there was a guy that was faster, and if he didn't get hurt, would he be the defending champion? No. But at the same time, He's put himself in a position to be considered one of the top riders. So all that said, it, you know, it was a good race, but it, it just wasn't, when I was taking my notes and kind of breaking it down, it just wasn't the big highlight reel like we've had the last few weeks in the West Coast. I got a feeling we will have a lot more excitement over the next couple rounds with this 250 East as things shake loose, as people start to get their feet under them. You know, a lot of people don't do good in the openings. Uh, opening rounds. And then you got guys like Shane McElrath and Justin Barsha who are known to come out and win the season openers and their persons in their respective classes. Sorry, I'm having trouble speaking today. In any case, let's start taking a look at some of the writers. So the first one, of course, is going to be the man himself, Shane McElrath. He qualified second, he won his heat race, and he won the main event. So we talked about Guys like Adam Cincerillo and more so Dylan Ferrandez having perfect days. Perfect day. Fastest qualifier. You win your heat race. You win the main event. And you get the whole shot in the main event. So Shane McElrath did two, two of the four. He was second fastest in qualifying. He won his heat race. And he did get the whole shot. But he led every lap. Um, and he won the main event. So a great start for Shane McElrath. Another thing that we see is how good those star Yamahas are. 
Uh, I believe it was Southwick or Washougal in motocross last year where all four riders or all five riders were like one through five coming down the start straight after the first turn. You know, it was like a, you would think it was set up for a photo shoot for Star Yamaha. So we know the Star Yamahas are good. We know they're fast. We know that Shane McElrath is great at season openers. My positive is second in qualifying, wins his heat race, wins his main event. So he shows he is here to fight right out of the gate, qualifies second. So he shows the guys before we even get on the track battling that, hey, I'm fast. You guys got to pay attention to me. Um, my negative, though, for, for Shane McElrath is we have seen this before. Shane McElrath is really good at coming on strong and starting out a season uh, really well. In 2017, he went 1-1-3-3, then got a 17th. Ended up finishing second overall in the points in 2017. 2018, 1-4-2-2, then got a 15th. Ended up finishing third in points. Last year, he started the season off with a 3-3-1-4 and ended up eighth place in the points at the end of the season. So as impressive as Shane McElrath was, and I really think he's going to be a contender for this championship, I am not going to sit there and be blown away by this performance um, because I've seen this from him before. And then as the series goes on, he starts out strong for the first three, four rounds, but you got to be strong through the entire series. A short series like these 250, whether it's East Coast or West Coast, I think they're eight or nine rounds at the most. You can't afford to have that 15th, 16th place. Look at the West Coast. Um, every one of your top three, Forkner at A2, got a 15th. Uh, Ferrandis at round two in St. Louis got a 12th. And then in Glendale at the Triple Crown, Justin Cooper had his bad race. But if any one of those three guys would not have had a bad race, this championship would be a lot bigger than it is now. I believe it's only a couple points between the teammates, uh, Ferrandis and Cooper, and still 10 points back to Austin Forker. So all that to say is Shane McElrath is known to start out strong but have a bad round. A bad round is like outside the top 10. We're talking like 15th, 17th. So those are going to kill his championship run. He has to keep that from happening. So for Shane McElrath, great ride, solid ride. You are fast. Um, I just hope you can keep it for the entire series. If he can keep his worst finish in the top five, then he's got a real shot at this championship, and it's going to be a good race. So that brings us to our second rider, which is the defending East Coast champion, Chase Sexton. He qualified third, got first in Heat 2, and second in the main event. Chase Sexton had a great first round, finishing second. Last year, he started the series off in fifth, having finished fifth in the end of the opening round. Now, fifth isn't a bad start, but still, this puts him in a better position. I believe, let's see, you get 26 for first, 23 for second, uh, 21 for third. I believe it's like a six-point swing between first and fifth. As opposed to now, he's only three points back um, going into the second round. So that keeps him right there, right on Shane McElrath's heels. If you can't win, second place is the best, next best finish to have. My positive, uh, Chase Sexton started fourth and worked his way to second. Um, my positive is, again, he started the series off better, better than fifth. 
he didn't really have a bad start. I mean, starting off fourth in the top four or top five is, is a good start. But Shane McElrath, he looked like Ken Roxon used to before his injury. You know, get a top two, three, fourth place start, and instantly in the first couple corners start attacking. Boom, boom, boom. Get in the lead before halfway through the first lap, and then check out and never let anyone have a chance. And that's what happened to Chase Sexton. You know, by the time he worked his way around his, his teammate Martin and got into second, McElrath was gone. So that's that's <laughs> – I kind of mixed them together. They're my, my positive and my negative. Positive is he got a good start. He finished second. Negative, though, is if Shane McElrath's going to keep showing the speed and these great starts, he's going to have to be right on his rear tire coming out of that first turn. At the end of lap one, he needs to be right behind Shane McElrath. Uh, the third rider is Jeremy Martin. Jeremy Martin is coming back to Supercross racing after two years off. Two years ago, in an outdoor race, he ended up uh, having a nasty crash and ended up breaking his back, hurting his back really bad. It took him two years to be able to fully recover and get back to racing. Um, also, during the time off, he said he got bored, so he went and worked at his buddy's dealership. And he's mentioned time and again that that really opened his eyes up to how lucky and how blessed uh, all the riders are to be doing what they love for a living as opposed to working a regular nine to five job out there. So that also helped him get a little more motivation because he knows what the other side's like. If he doesn't, doesn't succeed at this racing thing again, he knows what waits for him, but it was good to see him come back. And he was one of, I mean, he's a, um, 250 motocross champion. He hasn't quite put it together to win a 250 supercross yet or championship, 250 Supercross championship, but I think he's definitely got to be one who's considered a championship threat. He knows how to win championships. He knows how to, how to, what's the term I'm looking for? He knows how not to lose the championship on his bad days, how to uh, minimize the damage. Sorry, my mind went blank there for a second. So my positive for him is not only is he just, he's back to racing after two years, but he comes out as the fastest qualifier. If you listen to Pulp MX Fantasy, uh, sorry, Pulp MX Show, they do a, a weekly podcast every Monday. They they would always bring up, you know, we're hearing Jeremy Martin so fast at the Geico uh, test track at the Honda test track. He's so fast. He's so fast. He's so fast. But uh, he came out and proved it. You know, not it wasn't just hype. It, you know, we've heard that before. You know, in the preseason, I was like, oh, this rider's so fast. Oh, that rider, no one's going to touch him. And then you get your racing, and things aren't quite what the hype was. But for Jeremy Martin, he came back determined and set the fastest lap time in time qualifying. Um, on top of that, my positive for Jeremy Martin is not only did he was he the fastest qualifier, but he ended up finishing third after being passed by the defending champ and his teammate, Chase Sexton. He ran second a good portion of that race. So he didn't just come back from his injury. He came back and firmly put himself in the middle of this championship battle. Um, I really can't say anything negative. I mean, a guy who comes back from a broken back, what can you say negative about that when he qualifies fastest and he gets third in his first uh, first main event in two years? So the next guy we're going to talk about is Garrett Marshbanks. 
Garrett Marshbanks is a guy I'm keeping an eye on. He He's running for the Pro Circuit Kawasaki team. He's a guy who kind of, he's always there. He might not always be in the thick, in the front, battling for the win, but, you know, kind of like a, you know, a Brandon Hartraff that, that was on the West Coast that was always right there hovering in the top five. And if someone had an issue, someone made a mistake, someone went down at the end of a race, boom, he moved right in and get on those boats. That's what I see from uh, Garrett Marshface. I think he can get up in there and battle, but he's going to need better starts. My positive for Garrett Marchbanks is he battled way up the fourth, um, and that was a good ride. He, he rode good. He rode solid, and it was impressive. My negative, though, is he started in 11th place. So let's go look at that. From 11th place on the end of lap one all the way up the fourth place. That is a good, impressive ride. Excuse me. Sorry. So that brings us up to rider number five, Jordan Smith. Again, another pro, Kawasaki Pro Circuit rider. He qualified sixth, got second in heat one, and he finished fifth in the main event. My positive, Jordan Smith came into Tampa as uh, one of the top five riders um, most people expected. If you had your list of top five riders or top ten riders, uh, for the East Coast, a lot of people consider Jordan Smith to be in the top five, and he ended up finishing fifth. So that's a good way to start the season. Like I said about Sexton, finishing fifth at the season opener last year wasn't necessarily a bad thing. For most riders, that's an amazing finish. It's a great finish. But for a guy like Jordan Smith and Chase Sexton who want to be in this championship battle, you know, you want to try to do a little better. If Shane McElrath's going to start going on a run, or any of these top riders are going to start winning three, four of these races, you need to be on that podium each week to have a shot at the championship. My negative, Jordan Smith got the whole shot, but he was unable to hold on to the lead. He ended up fifth at the end of the, the first lap. So the whole shot is right out of the first turn, there is a chalk line they put out usually across the takeoff of the very first obstacle. And the first person that crosses that gets what's called the whole shot. Now, half the time, the way the first turn is, if you get the whole shot, unless you get banged around, you usually can get through the first rhythm cleanly, and you usually end up leading the first lap or majority of the first lap. This year, we've seen a lot of them. We've seen it even on the West Coast where they come in hot. They might be the first across the fin or the the chalk line for the whole shot, but then they end up pushing out and a bunch of riders get inside them and pass them. So for Jordan Smith, whole shot's great, but you got to stay up there in the front and battle with uh, with these guys who are title contenders like McElrath, Sexton, Martin, and even your teammate, Marchbanks, for every lap and win these things. So the next rider we have is going to be Justin Starling. Justin Sarling qualified 16th. He got 7th in Heat 1, and he finished 20th in the main event. Coming into uh, Tampa, Starling hadn't ridden his bike for three weeks. He had a crash during, well, still what's considered preseason for the East Coast, even though the Motocross Series, I'm sorry, the Supercross Series had kicked off on the West Coast. The East Coast guys are still on preseason. So having such little time on the bike coming into the season opener, he might not be as prepared. 
or have quite the confidence that some of the other riders have. So just making the main event for him is a great thing. Like I said, Jeremy Martin coming back and making the main event, it was a positive. So that's a positive also for, for Justin Starling. Um, he also qualified for the main event right out of the heat race. That's always good. That always means you're in that top 18, you know, with your speed. My negative for uh, Justin Starling, he has bad advice for Pulp MX Fantasy. Now, coming into the race Saturday at Tampa, uh, I think it was during qualifying time, he had tweeted, we'll see what happens. You know, I haven't been on the bike for three weeks. So I tweeted back and said, hey, I don't care. You're still on my team for Pulp MX Fantasy. And he responded with, bad idea. Someone else replied with a, uh, a gif of a guy pushing a red button. And it kept saying, abort, abort, abort. I gave in to the peer pressure. I listened. And I pulled Starling off my team and replaced him with another person that I thought would do good. Starling goes straight to the main event through the heat race. Uh, finishing seventh and the guy I put in place of Starling doesn't even make the main event so Starling would have got me points and the guy I put in got me no points so all this to say if you ever listen to this podcast Justin Starling I am not listening to you anymore on advice about Pulp MX Fantasy whether it's in regards to you or any other writer I say all that joking Starling's actually a great guy I look forward to seeing him this week in Arlington he said, right after he qualified, I tweeted again saying, man, I should have kept Starling on my team. And he replied again saying, I felt so bad. I thought about you as soon as I crossed the finish line. And he actually is a really cool guy. I really like uh, I really like Starling. He said, come see him in the pits this week in Arlington. He'll hook me up. So I'm looking forward to that. But don't listen to him or don't, don't get your Pulp MX advice from Justin Starling. So I mentioned earlier that there were eight rookies making their pro Supercross debut in Tampa. So let's just run through them real quick. The first one was Ryder Floyd. He qualified 33rd. Unfortunately, he, uh, he, I think, was involved in an accident. I don't know if he fell on his own. They didn't show it on TV. He either crashed on his own or got together with another rider. He did not finish the heat race and did not line up for the LCQs who did not make the main event. Um, the second rookie, Joe Shimoda, riding for the Geico Honda team. He qualified seventh, got fifth in his heat race, and in his main event, he was out of the top ten, unfortunately. Um, I heard someone say he crashed, so he ended up pretty far back, but he did make the main event. The next one is Luke Nice, qualified 35th, got 13th in heat two, and ninth in the LCQ, did not make the main event. Next, we have Carter Halpin, qualified 28th. He uh, got 17th in Heat 1 and 14th in LCQ. Zane Merritt, man, I was really looking forward to, to seeing what Zane Merritt had. He, he always uh, he, he made his impact in the motocross series last year. Pulp uh, Mathis at Pulp MX uh, always talked about his, his long mane that sticks out the back of his helmet. He still has it. So it was really rooting for Zane Merritt. He qualified 40th. He got the last spot into the night show. He uh, got 16th in Heat 1 and 19th in the LCQ and did not make the main event. Next is Grant Harlan. He qualified 31st, got 15th in Heat 2, 
and 13th in the LCQ not making the main event. 13th, or the next rider we're going to talk about is Jake Swole. He qualified 19th. He got 19th in Heat 2. And in the LCQ, the last turn for the final transfer spot, he dies to the inside, makes a great block pass on Teasdale, I believe it was. But unfortunately, right out of that turn was a small whoop section before the finish line jump. And he dropped that front end, and that killed all his momentum. Teasdale, being a little bit taller, was able to stay a little farther back and got back by him in the whoop. So he missed the main event by one spot. But a great ride by Jake Swole. The last one is uh, Tristan Lane. He qualified 38th. He got 15th in Heat 1 and 6th in the LCQ. So he just missed the main event by two spots as well. So I just want to give a shout-out to all the rookies. Welcome to Pro Supercross. and we enjoy we enjoy having you guys out there. We look forward to watching you guys battle and hopefully hopefully qualifying for the main event in future races. So with that said, I'm gonna take a quick break, get a quick drink of water, and we'll get into the 450s. Guess who was the fastest qualifier for the seventh week in a row? That's right, it was Adam Censorillo, followed by Eli Tomac, Ken Roxon, Cooper Webb, and Jason Anderson. Tomac would win Heat 1, followed by Stewart, Webb, Brayton, Wilson, Hill, Bowers, Plessinger, and Freezy, all going directly to the main event. Heat 2, Roxon would win by an impressive 11 seconds, followed by Cesarillo, Osborne, Tickle, who is back from his suspension, Barsha, Anderson, Davalos, Baggett, and Chisholm, going directly to the main event out of Heat 2. Chad Reed would win another LCQ, followed by Cunningham, Greasy, cap going into the main event. So for seven deuce deuce, great job qualifying for his first main event of the year. In the main event, Vince Freezy would get another whole shot, but Adam Cincerillo would take the lead in the first couple rhythm sections, and at the end of lap lap one, the running order was Adam Cincerillo, followed by Tomac, Freezy, Stewart, and Webb rounding up the top five. Fifteen minutes plus one lap left. Cincerillo is running a good uh, race up front, but his teammate Eli Tomac is right behind him and keeping the pressure on. Uh, James, or I'm sorry, Malcolm Stewart is running an impressive uh, third place, and he he's uh, he's running good and strong in in, in third place there. And uh, both Webb and Roxon have moved around Freezy for fourth and fifth. Twelve minutes plus one lap left. Tomac rails the outside of the sand corner, and Adam Cicerone makes a little mistake on the inside in the sand. And Tomac takes the lead. Ten minutes and one lap left, and the running order is Tomac, Cincerillo, Stewart, Webb, and Roxon rounding out the top five. These guys were racing hard. They were going fast. And they all, I mean, I don't want to say all Tomac was opening up a gap on the field. But um, Stewart and Webb and Roxon were all running really close to the same speed. And it was close. And there was some dicing and a little bit of battling back and forth. But... They kind of were just putting in laps. I mean, just like the 250 guys, there really wasn't too many super highlights like we've seen the last few weeks. So with four laps plus one lap left, Tomac has a 12-second lead. Uh, Adam Cincerillo has made a mistake in the whoops and has gone down, and he's back in 10th. So Webb is in second. Roxon is making a pass on Stewart in third, and he washes the front end and goes down. He's able to get right back up. And get right back on the gas. 
Two laps left. Webb is starting to close in on Tomac. He's knocked the lead down to about seven seconds. And Roxon has worked his way back into second. Barsha has come from a horrible start and worked his way all the way up the fifth. I'm sorry, all the way up the fourth with Justin Hill finishing fifth for his best finish of the year. And that's the way it ended. Tomac, Webb, Roxon, Barsha, and Hill rounding out the top five. So let's take a look at some of these riders. Eli Tomac, he qualified second place. He won his heat race, heat one, he was first, and he was first place in the main event. My positive for Eli Tomac, in the first, he is the first three-time winner of the 2020 Supercross season in the 450 class. He will also have the red plate next week going into Arlington for the second of three Triple Crown events. My negatives, I really... For, let me put it this way. For the race, I didn't see a negative. Tomac got a start. He's been getting starts the last couple of weeks. Um, we saw how in the 250 class that turned around the points race for Dylan Ferrandez. Now it's starting to turn around the points race for the 450 class in Eli Tomac. Eli Tomac has the red plate. So I really don't have too much negative to say uh, in regards to his ride last night. Um if I had anything negative to say, if I could, and this is this is you know splitting hairs here, is he had a 12 second lead with a couple laps left or a couple minutes left in the race. You know Webb comes on strong. He cut it from 12 seconds down to seven seconds. But on the flip side, Tomac might not and most likely wasn't pushing to put his fastest laps down with a 12 second lead and a handful of laps left. I'm sure he was keeping tabs on Cooper Webb, and if Cooper Webb would have closed it within, say, five seconds, he would have wicked the speed back up and, and started gapping him again. It was Tomac's night. I am not trying to take anything away from Eli Tomac. So don't don't send me no hate comms, all you super Eli fans. Um, I will say this, you know, looking ahead into next week, going into Arlington, Arlington hasn't always been a good race for Eli Tomac. Um, neither has the red plate. Eli Tomac has only held the red plate for three races. In 2017, he held the plate. He was a co-red plate with Ryan Dungey um, going into uh, Salt Lake City. He won that race and was the solo red plate where... The following week in New Jersey, where he would get a horrible eighth place finish and lose the red plate and the championship in 2017. In 2019, he uh, see, apologize, my notes have gotten a little scrambled here. In 2019, he would also lose it with a sixth place finish in, I believe it was many. I believe he came into Minneapolis. I apologize. In 2019, he came into Minneapolis with the red plate got a sixth place finish i believe cooper webb won that one he was starting to put them together then and uh tomac got a sixth place finish and that would be the last time in 2019 he would have the red plate so for eli tomac the red plate hasn't been good to him also the second thing is we're going into arlington which hasn't been nice to him he let's see for Eli Tomac, he has raced six times on the 450 in Arlington. He has an average finish of 8.5. In 2014, 
he got 11th. In 2015, he got 7th. In 2016, he got 5th. 2017, he got 15th. He did win Arlington in 2018. And then last year, in 2019, he got 12th. So out of those six races, he's only been in the top five twice. Once was a fifth, once was a win. So for Eli Tomac, he needs to come into this Triple Crown where he's had some success. He, he's won, I believe he won three main events out of the nine in 2019. He didn't win any of them. To uh, Kim Roxon won all three of them in Glendale for the first round. But I think this week, going into Arlington, is going to be a real um, important race for, for uh, Eli Tomac. It is going to be vital for him to come out of here at least with a decent finish. He needs to finish within the top five overall, not lose any points, hopefully hold on to that red plate. And if he can, I think if he can hold on to that red plate for a couple more weeks, get to Daytona where he, you know, he's just going to Tomac the field in Daytona. What can I say? He's a three-time outdoor championship, and that is more of a man-made motocross track than a supercross track. So I think Arlington is going to be kind of that tipping point for for Eli. You know, which which way is he going to tip? Is he going to tip into the championship or is he going to tip out of the championship? Because Arlington has is, is not been a good race for him. I don't know. I don't know if it's something about the dirt. You know, in 17, he had that weird flip. Uh, he landed off the triple, leaning into the turns. Like his front wheel got caught in the rut and just sent him over, and it bent his front brake. So he did horrible. And then last year in 2019, it was just like he just didn't have it. I don't know. He just he just got a 12. You know, I, I that's what Eli does sometimes when. When he's on, he's on. No one can touch him. But then those other times when he's not on, you're left scratching your head going, what happened? But, again, I think Eli's in a great place. Um, 2019, he was close in points. Uh, he had the red plate at one point in 2019 in the beginning part, around this part of the series. But he didn't have any wins. Now he has a win. Now he has a win, actually three wins under his belt in the first quarter of the season, first third of the season. So he is in the best position he's been in the 450 class um, in the points. The second rider we're going to look at is going to be Cooper Webb. Cooper Webb uh, qualified fourth, got third in heat one, and second in the main event. My positive for Cooper Webb is he got another second. He is, he is becoming Mr. Podium again. He had the bad race in St. Louis where he got 12th. Um, but for the most part, he has been on the podium, I'd say, I think just off the top of my head, five out of seven weeks so far. So that's really good. Um, he builds off of confidence. Each one of these podiums and then the win uh, the week before, it's just going to build him in confidence. As he gets that confidence, he's going to keep building. He's going to keep growing. I said, I believe it was either last week or episode one that I believe. Eli Tomac, Ken Roxon, Cooper Webb all get five wins this season. Well, Eli Tomac has three, Ken Roxon has two, and Webb has one. I think this Triple Crown is going to be really good. I think it suits Webb's uh, riding. He, he's, he's good at sprinting, and he's starting to get his starts back under control. He, uh, I think he's in a good place. My negative for Cooper Webb... Um, 
he is getting starts inside the top five, but still by the time he gets into second, Tomac's already gone. He needs to be more aggressive, I think, in the earlier stages, not taking riders out. I'm not trying to say he needs to ride dirty or, or even like Bam Bam, but he needs to get to the front right away. He needs to be one spot behind Eli Tomac, and not just one spot behind him, but he needs to be right on Eli Tomac's rear fender at the end of lap one so he can run his pace and fight for those wins. So coming into Arlington again, the Triple Crown, I look at 2019, Cooper Webb had won four out of the nine main events, and he was the winningest rider in the Triple Crown last year. Um, he had four. Tomac had three. That's seven. I know Moosecan had one. I think Brayton maybe had one. But in any case, um, Cooper Webb's good at the Triple Crown. Now he's got the confidence growing. He's feeding off the confidence he already has, and he is charging to the front. So that brings us to our next rider, Ken Roxon. Uh, Ken Roxon would qualify in third place. He would win heat race one, and in the main event, he'd get third. My positive for Ken Roxon is he's back on the podium. Even after watching out the front end, uh, trying to get around Malcolm Stewart, he was still able to pick it up, make the pass, and finish on the podium. My negative for Ken Roxon is I don't want to say he's fading towards the end of the season like he did last year, but he's had a couple bad races. And when you see him on the podium, even finishing in third place, he looks frustrated. He doesn't look like he's got that fire, but he looks very frustrated. When he won the heat race by 11 seconds, he looked like he was serious. He had that look in his eye like a predator. Like he was he was in in it to fight to the death. And then he had some misfortune um, in the main event. He slid out. He didn't get a great start. And it's just he looks frustrated on the podium. So he needs to try to find a way to turn it around. He needs to turn his starts around. The other thing I see from Ken Roxon, and we really saw it last week, is it seems like in the past, Ken Roxon in motocross, supercross, it didn't matter. He would get, say, a third or fourth place, or even sometimes sixth or seventh. And in the first couple corners, I mean, corners, he would dive to the inside. He would be so fast, and he'd get to the first, second, or third within like two or three turns. We're not seeing that from him anymore. He's not getting the whole shots anymore. And he almost looks like the Ryan Dungey of old. When Ryan Dungey first went to KTM, you know, he would he wasn't that aggressive it, it, until he got that from uh, Alden Baker. He he would follow each rider for several laps before finally making a pass. And I almost feel like that's what we saw from Kid Roxon. Yes, he was passing guys, but he he got in that train with with Malcolm Stewart and Cooper Webb and, and Ken Roxon where they were just kind of following each other around for lap after lap and then Webb finally made the pass. And it was like, Ken Roxon knew, oh, man, i got to make the pass now. And then he made the mistake and went down and had to do it again. So that's my negatives. I don't want to see him fade. I, I After last year, both Supercross and Motocross, he started the series off so strong and got the red plate in both series. And then about halfway through, or not quite halfway yet in 2020, but about halfway through, he started fading off. He started going from... 
battling for the wins each week and getting wins to, you know, being a top guy and being on the podium, but not really being in the battle for the win. So I really hope that's not what we're starting to see out of Ken Robson. Uh, I hope that the Triple Crown again, you know, he, he won all three in Glendale. I hope he has that kind of success again. And I really think if he can get his start style to where he's not coming from a deficit, especially with Eli Tomac starting to nail his starts now. So coming into Arlington, Roxon needs to repeat his sweep of Glendale. If he can nail his starts, he could sweep again, win all three main events, and probably even take back the red plate from uh, Eli Tomac. So my fourth rider is Justin Barsha. Barsha qualified 13th. He got fifth place in heat race two. He got fourth in the main event. My positive for Barsha is he had a great race battling all the way back from 14th to 4th. So he passed 10 riders. That is impressive. That is a great ride, and he got himself back inside the top five. My negative, Barsha needs to get back in the fight right now. He needs to get his starts dialed again like they were at the beginning of the series. Um, if Barsha got a top five start, he finished on the podium. Every time now he's outside the top five, he usually doesn't um, – every time he starts outside the top five, he usually doesn't finish on the podium. He didn't this week, but he got fourth, which was good. A great ride. Got him back in the top five. But he needs to start winning races now if he's going to close that 17 or 18-point gap he's behind in the points. My fifth and final rider tonight is going to be Justin Hill. Justin Hill qualified 12th. He got sixth in heat one and fifth place in the main event. My positive for Justin Hill is he finished fifth, showing that he has the speed we all know he has, and that is his season best finish so far. My negative, though, is it seems like there's something about Tampa. He had a great race a few years back, and all anyone ever talked about when it came to Justin Hill on the 450 was that race in Tampa, that race in Tampa. Well, now he's had another great race, and once again, when it comes to Justin Hill, all we're going to be talking about is this race in Tampa now. So he's something about the dirt, the track, the environment. He loves it. He's good there. He does great. You can ask any rider uh, like Chad Reed going to San Diego. It didn't matter where your season was. You come into a track, you've had success. You look forward to it. <coughs> Excuse me. So for Justin Hill, we know he has the speed. He has the speed to be the fastest qualifier. He has some great speed, but we don't see it a lot. We've seen it twice now in Tampa. So I'd love to see him take this speed and be able to apply it to other tracks. So all in all, a good ride for Justin Hill and a good night. Once again, this is episode four of the Dented Pipe podcast. I am your host, Fraun Dog. I want to thank everybody for, for listening and for just being a fan, following, liking, downloading uh, the podcast. I hope you all come back next week. And thank you.